everyone. This is Jessica Stewart, and you're listening to the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast. Today, we'll be chatting with acclaimed painter Erin Hansen, founder of the style known as Open Impressionism. Known for her bold and vibrant oil paintings, which are filled with rich color, her work is inspired by the great outdoors and our fresh take on classic landscape paintings. But beyond her creative work, Erin also has a keen business mind, and we'll take an in-depth look at how she built her career into the success that it is today. I went on Amazon and I read every single book on art marketing I could get my hands on. And I taught myself SEO, I taught myself how to use Photoshop. I I learned the tools needed that you need to market yourself now in the modern age. This week's chat is a must listen for any budding artist looking to understand how they can break into the art world, but is equally fascinating for someone who wants to know more about how successful painters cultivate their style and build a career in the arts. First of all, welcome. Welcome to the Top Artist Podcast. We're very excited to have you here with us, Erin. You know, we at My Modern Met are great fans of your work and have been for a long time. So we're happy to get to, to chat today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. To jump right in, I mean, I think one of the things to me that's most incredible about your art is that you really started your own art movement, Open Impressionism which is incredible. Not many artists can say they've really started their own movement. Um, So can you describe for our listeners, what are the characteristics of open impressionism? What do do we mean when we say that? Well, uh, open impressionism came about uh, partly because I, I developed my own style without going through a traditional art school. So I got my degree in bioengineering. Wow. And (laughs) even though I've been painting and you know, I painting my whole life, I started in oils when I was uh, eight years old. And I took art classes all throughout, you know, um, lower education, and then all through high school. Um, But then I went off to college, you know, because I was told like many artists that you can't make a living as an (laughs) artist. (laughs) So I went off to do something else. But then after college, I decided my passion was not sitting in a laboratory right all day and I actually got back into my love for the outdoors I started um, rock climbing and and I started painting again and so what I was painting was rocks wow and if you look at my style it's very chunky and it has these distinct planes of colors that kind of meet up side by side yeah Um, that's that's a, a a distinctive characteristic of open impressionism I don't layer my paint at all. So mm-hmm. everything is put on kind of in a spontaneous uh, single layer, um, as opposed to usually in oil painting, artists are building up the layers right. over time and letting the paint dry in between. And, you know, even plein air painters who will do their work in a single sitting, they are also doing a lot of blending, uh, changing the paint once it's put on the canvas. I try to never touch a brush stroke once it's been put on the canvas. Mm. So it gives it a, a lot of texture. Yeah, it's very sculptural. Flattening. Exactly. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the second you put that brush over the same part of the canvas that you've already put paint on, it's going to flatten the paint out. So I don't, I don't add anything to my paint. This is just the natural texture of oils. Um, so, so that's a big characteristic. The, there's no, there's no layering. Um, I use a brightly colored underpainting that kind of fills in the cracks between mm. the brush strokes, And this gives it a very characteristic stained glass, uh, mosaic kind of look, which is another characteristic. 
I mean, they're beautiful, so vibrant, um, lots of blues and, and, and purples. You know, you, you mentioned that you put a brush stroke down and you really try not to touch it afterward. To me, that screams of, wow, you must be really prepared because if you're <laughs> going to lay down that brush stroke, you better know where you're putting it if you really don't want to touch it again. So I know you work from photographs and things like that, but I mean, what what is your process? Obviously, you've been doing this for a long time now, so I'm sure it comes naturally we'll say the magic of artistry but <laughs> right <you know>. naturally right. <laughs> exactly yeah well yes I, I have I have painted over 2,000 paintings in this incredible style so that is it has helped me develop a bit of a natural feel but uh it it's from doing it many times um um I, and I, I I do a lot of planning in my mm. paintings before I ever pick up a paintbrush. And I think this is where my engineering degree comes in handy because I, I basically, I'll get a concept of what I want to paint in my head and then I'll work backwards from it. So I'll start with, um, you know, photos I've taken out of doors. Usually I work from several photos that I've taken at uh, sunrise and sunset are my favorite times to paint. And then I'll do a series of sketches to kind of figure out what I'm going to focus on in the painting. Because a photograph has too much information in it, you know, right. the purpose of an, uh, uh, the purpose of an, of an artist and why art is so amazing um, is that you're, you're selecting out with all this information, you're, you're selecting out what you want to focus on and what you're communicating to the viewer. And even if in photography and, you know, a good, a good photograph is selecting out all that information, it's selecting out what the artist wants to focus on. You right. know, whether they're doing that with black and white or putting stuff out of focus or whatever it is they're doing, they're, they're selecting out what, what you want to focus on. So that's what I do as a painter also. Right, of course, because we're not talking about hyper-realism here. We're talking about, of course, I imagine using those images as a jumping off point for what you're trying to to create. So, I mean, color is extremely important to your work. Um where are you drawing the colors from? Because they are naturalistic, but I guess exaggerated, maybe more saturated. Um, so there's a real pop to them. Yeah, they definitely lean towards more of the expressionistic color as opposed to what we you think of in traditional uh, impressionism. And and that's also why I wanted to coin a new word for my style. Right. It's not just contemporary impressionism. It's it is very expressionistic, and I use the colors to capture emotion. Um, and, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm always just trying to capture that joy of being outside and seeing these beautiful vineyards or a coastal scene or, uh, you know, the red rock cliffs, you know, and just these vistas that most of us don't get a chance to go out and see all the time. You know, I, you know, I grew up in Los Angeles, you know, a lot of my fans are, they're city dwellers and they don't get to go out and see these this beautiful nature that's takes up most of the United States, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. America is full of incredible, incredible landscapes and your, your paintings are sort of little slices of that. So I guess it's a good time to ask about the subject matter and about the fact that you really do focus on landscapes. I mean, you've mentioned your love of, of nature. Um, but I know that before, you know, way back when, before you decided to focus just on landscapes, you painted other things. So what was the sort of aha moment you had when you just, you thought that's it, landscapes are for me and I'm not turning back from here? Yep. Yeah, I definitely before, um, before I went to college, I painted all sorts of 
things, animals, buildings, you know, still lives, flowers. But for me, the aha moment was I moved to Las Vegas and I started rock climbing at Red Rock Canyon and I woke up, I had to go camping mm -hmm. uh, out in the desert the first weekend I moved there because my the apartment I had rented on Craigslist that didn't have electricity on. Oh, no. And so I showed up with my truck full of everything I own, you know, my mattress strapped to the top yeah. of this pickup the, truck. The adventures and... you have out of college, you know, that you can only do when you're exactly. like 21. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll find out where the local campground is. And so it happened to be Red Rock Canyon. I had never heard of it before. And I so, and I had decided on the way driving to Vegas that I was going to get back in painting. So I, I pulled out my easel, which of course was in my pickup truck because everything I owned was in my pickup truck. And I took my easel and my paints and my oils and my brushes and I walked to the top of the hill and it was 530 in the morning and the sun came up and hit on Red Rock Canyon, which mm. is, you know, being a Southern California girl, I had never seen Red Rock, you know, and it was amazing. It was like brilliant oranges and yellows and creams and peaches and this magical desert landscape. And I got super excited and I pulled out all my cadmium colors and I just made this beautiful hyper colored uh, oil painting. And this was my first open impressionist painting. I actually still have it. And it's Beautiful. the same technique I use today. You know, this technique just kind of came out of me not painting for, you know, five, years or whatever it had been mm -hmm. and using the tools I had to capture the scene that I saw. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was, I, there was no turning back. I actually, my neighbors, my camping neighbors were a bunch of rock climbers who had just mm -hmm. moved to Vegas from uh, New York and they took me climbing the next day and I fell in love with it. And we actually all moved in together. Oh. We ended up, I ended up getting a place that wasn't on the strip which is where my other apartment was. Yes. And we moved closer out to the western side of Vegas. We all moved in together, and I became a rock climbing junkie. <laughs> wow. And so everything I painted for the first two years was basically rocks. And um, rocks are a, a, a just gorgeous. They're, at least these rocks are. They sure. have these distinct planes of color that meet up with these uh, black cracks in between. So it's very easy to paint. It's really fun and abstract. Mm. And a lot of my early paintings were very abstract. And I still have um, an element of the abstract in my work. Um, yeah, definitely. They've, they've gotten a little more towards the impressionist side, I think. So at that point, you know, you are in Las Vegas. You're starting to paint these rocks. Is Are you already thinking, okay, I'm going to make a go of it as a professional artist, forget the and uh, the engineering and, and whatever? <laughs> or are you still not sure at this point? I definitely was not intending to make a living at it at this time. I just wanted to get back into art. Um, I had another business that was supporting me at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I was able to make a living, but I was working for myself. So I had time to climb. I had time to paint. And I just decided in my own mind that I was going to create a painting a week and just see what happened. You know, I mean, I didn't think I could really make a living at it, but you know, maybe I could get good enough one day to be picked up by a gallery, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I painted for a whole year and so I'd done about 50 paintings and I decided I would try to start selling them. I put up a listing on Craigslist. I started mm -hmm. seeing what maybe local shows might be happening and 
I had never heard of an art festival or anything. Sure. And I did I did this little show at this local church and someone, another artist, of course, didn't sell a thing. I mean, I had a little fold out table and like eight people showed up and <laughs> the artist next to me, I think there were more artists there than patrons actually. <laughs> And the artist next to me was like, hey, if you want, really want to sell your work, there's the Boulder City Art Festival just around the corner in Boulder City. It's like half hour away and you could probably still get in even though it's in two weekends. And so I called up the promoter and I sent them a picture of my work and she's like, yeah, sure, come on in. It's 500 bucks. You know, you'll need a tent. And I said, oh, a tent, huh? And I found one online and bought it and set it up and showed up and very nervously displayed, you know, my, what I thought were my best 12 paintings over the past year. And I sold like four paintings, paid back my whole investment of what I had done and said, oh, the business person in me went, aha, I can do this. And of course, talking, it was a super confidence boost. And, and I didn't know that there was a way that you could sell art, not through a gallery, you know, and there's this whole new realm where artists can sell work directly to patrons and it's called art festivals and they're everywhere across the U.S. Of course, there's some better ones and some sure. smaller ones, but I, that first weekend I met every artist there. There were about 400 artists. Every single one of them made a living, a full-time living, selling their work through art festivals. Amazing. And they did it to varying degrees. Some only did, you know, 10 or 12 shows a year. Others did 40 to 50 shows a year, almost every weekend on the road. And they would create their art in between. You know, some of them were husband, wife teams. Others were just solo artists. And anyways, I got into the festival circuit and it's, it was the greatest decision I ever made because I, I was able to slowly over the years build up not only my, my, my ability to paint, Hmm. right. But my ability to sell my work. Sure. I think, I think artists sometimes they, you know, they'll they'll focus too much on creating the work and becoming as good as they can possibly be, but they never think of how to talk about their work or how to sell it or who might be interested in buying it. And they hope that a gallery will pick them up and represent them, which happens occasionally, you know, that an artist can make a, a full living through a gallery, you know, but... I mean, sure. It's a very, it's a very small percentage of artists who are fortunate enough to have that happen. And I think it's um, so great that you had that, that lesson because one, you're getting immediate feedback from patrons there, you know, and I'm sure they're not necessarily holding back of of their opinions. So you sort of start seeing what works, what doesn't work, or just simply who's my, who is my client? Not that you change your art to fit them, but who am I painting for? Right. And then I think exactly. that probably helps a lot when you're when you're selling because it is true, not just in in art or the creative fields, but I think in general, I mean, I know I'm like this. I'm great at talking up someone else, but when I have to mm-hmm. talk up myself, you know, it can mm-hmm. it can be difficult. You feel like it's very hard. Maybe you feel like you're bragging, or you or uh-huh. you just can't be objective. So yep. the fact that yep. um, you hone those skills is so wonderful, especially now that new technology has made it so much easier to sell directly. Obviously, we're talking about art mm-hmm. fairs, which is mm-hmm. actually great because I wouldn't have even thought about that, to be quite honest. But, you know, then we, we yeah. segue into online selling, uh, yep. which is... Yep you know, social media and all of that. So I'm yep. sure that what you did at the art fairs was a great, other, um, um, was a great training for that. 
It was absolutely. You know, the other thing I really like reason I would highly recommend art festivals for artists starting out or even established artists is that it gives you, it kind of forces you to paint. <laughs> Cause if you're doing, even if you're just doing one show a month, you know, you need to come up with six new paintings for that show or 10 new paintings for that show. And you know, so other artists might, who aren't doing festivals might go, Oh, I'll take a month on this painting, you know, and Oh, oh but I don't really have the time this month. I'm traveling. So I'm not going to paint this month and six months go by and they haven't made a painting. You know, that's right. not the way to become professional and the top of your field. You know, you need to be working at it 40 hours a week and, you know, put your 10,000 hours in right to become a master at your, at your medium, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a very common theme with with the artists we've been talking to is no one is just sitting around waiting, you know, for something to fall in their lap. Everyone is working at this like it's a 40 hour or more likely, you know, 80 hour week, because let's week. be Absolutely. honest, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> yep. a, it's not a punch into the office and go home and never think no. about it sort of um, no. living. So, and I think that's what art has been throughout history. You know, this idea of, you know, the artist who sort of sits around and doesn't really have to do very much. I feel like that's a very 19th, early 20th century concept when we thought of the artist as, you know, this great mind that doesn't really... Mm -hmm. When you look back in history at <laughs> Michelangelo or, you know, uh -huh. they all were working their tails off to get this oh, yeah. So, <laughs> Well... I want to talk to you a little bit about your childhood because you mentioned, you know, very casually, oh, I started painting with oils when I was eight. Well, that's not something you hear very often. I mean, you obviously hear about kids painting, but not with right. oil paint, which, you not know, is, oils, is yeah. typically something that people approach, you know, toward adulthood if they do at all, because a lot of people are intimidated right. by it. So how did this, how did this happen? How did you pick up oil paint as an eight-year-old? <laughs> Well, um, it's, it's funny that the acrylics are always given as the kind of entry into oils, but I, I really believe that acrylics are a very different medium yeah. than oils and you could become very good at acrylics or you could become very good at, you know, at oils, you know, or take watercolors, you know, the, the skills you learn painting as an oil painter aren't going to translate into becoming good at watercolors, you know, it's a whole different world, you know, in acrylics and watercolors, you work from from light to dark and you utilize the white canvas underneath oils you work from dark to light even that change in itself is a very different way of approaching compositions and how to paint you know um so yes i i went to a little private school that my mom taught at so me and my three brothers all went here and i started when i was seven i think and so i had the same art teacher from age seven all the way to when i graduated at 16 and wow. he basically let me paint in whatever mediums I wanted to. And of course I was already familiar with Van Gogh and knew that oils were the mediums that the masters use. And of course that's what I wanted to do. So he put oils in front of me and said, here's your turpentine, here's your brushes. Wow. Here's how you paint in oils. And of course I was taught the traditional way of layering and glazing and all that. And, right. But I, I saw the first oil painting I did. It was a little still life. It took me a month or two months. And Aww. you know, as you're waiting in between for it to dry and, um, but yeah, I was able, I started working in oils and of course I also did pen and ink, acrylics, watercolor, pastel, you know, I did, I, I, I used all the different medium. And then as, as a, as a young teenager, I worked in a, a mural studio 
where mm. this was back before digital printing, you know, this was like in the, in the early nineties. And, um, if, if someone wanted a big piece of art for their, uh, you know, casino or hotel, they would hire a muralist. So I worked for this company and we did these huge 40, 60, 80 foot acrylic paintings. Wow. And I was, you know, 12, 13, and <laughs> I was up there on a scaffold painting away, you know, and, uh, they would, there was about six artists that worked in this, in the studio. And, you know, I was, I wasn't creating the sure. art obviously, but I was executing it. And so it was really fun to learn acrylics in, in, in that scale. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I mean, and a great learning experience, you know, even though you're absolutely. Yeah. It was interesting too. Cause I think that's partly why I had this fixed idea that you couldn't make a living as an artist, you know, cause I, mm. I became friends with all these artists and they were all of them technically failed artists because they weren't selling their own work. You mm. know what I mean? They were executing what some other artist was telling them to do. But I think, and I'm sure you've come to realize as you've grown up that a lot of that idea of a failed artist, I mean, it comes from so many things, not because it's impossible to make a living as an artist. Yeah. You have to have not only talent, technical skill, but you really have to have the mm -hmm. disposition. I mean, we just talked about it. You know, you have to be willing mm -hmm. to go out there. You have to be willing to put yourself out there and to network mm -hmm. and to sell yourself and to make things happen. And some people don't have that characteristic. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people don't have that characteristic and I, that sometimes can separate who ends up making it. You know, someone else might be technically yeah. a better artist, but they don't become as successful just because yeah, of, I think you're right, because of circumstance. So yeah, going back to the art fair, so you're there, you're traveling to all these fairs. So at this point, this is when you're like, okay, I can make, I'm making this a business. I'm actually making exactly. money from this. And so right. what's your, what's your next step? Because obviously, you know, at some point I'm assuming you slowed down and decided to, you know, set up a shop. Yep. Um, let's see. I did, I did festivals for, I think I did it for about four years before I decided that it was, I was, I was, I was losing money when I was focusing on my other business as opposed to art. So I decided I got rid of my old business. I was buying and selling stuff online, you know, eBay, mm -hmm. Amazon stuff. And I sold my entire business off. I gave it to my parents and I just focused just on art. And that's when I really started ramping up the number of festivals I was doing. I started doing like 24 festivals a year. And I did that for a few years. Um, and then I started getting these um, uh, complaints that I was running a business out of my house in Burbank in Los oh. Angeles. And yeah, so, and then eventually a city official came and said, there have been reports of too many canvases leaving this house. <laughs> That's literally what he said to me when he, when he oh opened the door. And I said, well, I am an artist and I do sell my paintings. Um, anyway, so he gave me two weeks to vacate my business. And that wow. was what caused me to open my first gallery. Okay. So I rented a warehouse down the street and I set up my studio in there and I set up a showroom in front and that was the first uh, Aaron Anson gallery. And I started having events out of my gallery and inviting my local fans and doing, you know, social media outreach and everything. And then eventually moved into a much larger place in downtown LA and then relocated from there to San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when my operation really started to expand. And I started spending more time painting and doing online marketing instead of 
um, doing the traveling festivals. Right. Uh, and then last year I opened up a second retail gallery in Carmel. Well, that's incredible. Congratulations to you because not, not everyone has, you know, it is one thing to be able to you're great at marketing yourself or whatever, but having two businesses, two physical spaces that you're <laughs> yeah. working out of, that you have overhead. I'm sure you must have other people that are helping you manage or work these spaces. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. So, I mean, where does this business mind come from? I mean, how did you figure out how to get this done? Because like you said, I'm sure there are artists listening who are saying, how does, how do I do that? How does that happen? Right. Right. Um, I, I mean, I guess I had, some experience, you know, cause I was running my own business before I got back right. into art. Um, and just, I, I also, one thing that really helped me actually was I went on Amazon and I read every single book on art marketing I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. And I taught myself, uh, SEO. I taught myself how to program a website. Um, I taught myself how to use InDesign. I taught myself how to use Photoshop. I, I learned the tools needed that, that you need to market yourself now in the modern age. And when I didn't know how to do someone, something, I hired someone who could do it for me. You know, like I just uh, published a new magazine called uh, The Impressionist. Great. And yeah, it's a beautiful, full color, you know, 80 page magazine um, full of articles about impressionism. And I had to learn how to publish a magazine, you know, <laughs> and I had to, I hired professionals, but I also, I did most of the work myself and it's been, it's been great because, you know, in a, wor in a world of everyone's overloaded with digital images these days and to actually have a physical right. publication, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's, it really, it's, it stands out. Yeah. It's nice to be able to hold something in your hand physically. <laughs> yeah. It's like we've, we've gone first, like full circle back to the old ways of marketing, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Where can people get that magazine? From your website? Um, if you go to my if you go to my website and send us an email, we will mail you a copy. Oh, great. So there you go, everyone. Get your get, <laughs> get your emails ready. One interesting thing that I saw you've launched recently, and again, this just speaks, I believe, to your, you know, expanding and thinking outside the box of new things to do is you've combined your art with new technology. So using 3D printing and you're creating 3D textured replicas of your original artwork. So let's talk about that. I've never heard of this before, but I was looking at the video and reading and it. It's actually quite, quite ingenious. So can you share a little bit to our listeners about what that means and, and what is the process? Yes, this is a very exciting new technology. I am actually the first artist to fully develop and launch this product. Um, I'm working with Cruise Scanner. They're a, company, a German based company and they mm -hmm. have one of the few uh, artwork scanners and it creates it. it um, it's a flatbed scanner. So the painting sits on it facing up. So nothing touches the face of the painting and it does multiple scans of the painting from with different light angles to create a 3D topographical map of the painting. And this is a very detailed, high resolution map that it has every tiny ridge of every brushstroke, right? Yeah, looking and at then, the, looking at the pictures. I mean, it's mm. uh, all of the textures there, so you have yep. that sculptural feel of the oil. Exactly, it's pretty incredible. And then there's another, the other side of the technology. So this is a new type of scanning, right? Um, and then there's a new type of printing that allows you to actually print out this 3D model. 
and um, I'm using a, a Swiss Cube printer. It's a 3D printer. There's only two printers in the world that will that will print these, and it creates a whole textured print of the painting, and then the color layer goes on top. Mm. So the finished product looks like a painting, and this is very different than your typical embellished clay, which right. is a two-dimensional inkjet print that then an artist or someone put um, co colored paint or clear gesso on top of it to get the illusion of texture. And, you know, it's usually just in part of the paintings and people are used to buying these things. They sell right. them at art festivals all the time. They're embellished prints. Um, so this is a totally different product that is basically the next best thing to owning an original. And they're pretty incredible. In fact, there's this one company that has made a duplicate of a Van Gogh painting that has, you know, apparently fooled even museum curators and they were not able to tell which was the oil and which was the print so I, I don't know if i believe that because because i can tell the difference if i look up close sure it's like, sure it, it's like looking at an acrylic painting versus an oil an, an oil painting you know right, an oil right, painting right. has this kind of gleam to it because it's an actual it's it's oil and it uh, reflects the light in a different way than acrylic will um <laughs> i mean it's it's mind-blowing i mean once I read about it, I'm like, well, this does make sense. And you think, why, why are not more people doing this? You know, I mean, it's great yeah, because yeah, I well. feel like it opens a new market, you know, that sort of in between yeah. of, I can, I can't afford an original, uh, but I can mm -hmm. afford more than a, a print. And I would like more than that. And it's right. sort of this, this in between, exactly. because you're going to be doing limited edition uh, runs of, of your paintings exactly. on this. So it, it's right. still, it's limited, it's unique. It has the look and the feel of the original, um, but maybe is a little bit more accessible for people. Exactly. Yeah. I'm really excited. About and it. so how, how did you come upon this technology? <laughs> well, um, I have been on an endless search for the past 15 years to photograph my artwork in the best way possible. And I've, tried every expensive camera model you can and lighting setup. I've tried outdoor photography under a screen, you know, and I've done indoor flash photography and I've just tried everything. And I'm very picky about my images and I want them to look a certain way. And so I was just diving back into this again, trying to find something and I was looking into scanning, but the problem with scanned images for, for textured paintings is that they end up looking flat. And it, you know yeah. what I mean? It kills all the texture in them and they look, they just look weird. They look a little odd when you mm. scanning for, you know, flat paintings and uh, watercolors is gorgeous. It looks just like the original, you know, but when sure. you get any kind of texture scanning doesn't work. So I found, I discovered crew scanner, which they've developed a technology of sending the light in at an angle so that you're, mm. you're, you're casting shadows as opposed to a flatbed printer, which the light is hitting the painting at 90 degrees. Right. So there's so no shadows being else. cast. Exactly. Yeah. So with this, I'm able to completely control the amount of shadows that, that I want appearing on the painting and the angle that the light is coming from. So they look just like looking at a real painting now. So I'm really excited because this is really going to make my my regular two-dimensional canvas prints look even better. Amazing. Okay, so yeah. you're going to be using the scanner also for the canvas prints. Exactly. Well, I suppose that it has some very high quality. So are these, are the 3D replicas, are they released to the market yet? If people are interested, how do they go about finding them? 
Yes, we just released them uh, about a week ago. And if you go to AaronHansenPrints.com and go to the categories, you'll see 3D textured replicas. And uh, we're only able to create 3D prints of paintings I have been able to scan. So yeah, there sure. is a limited selection, but there are about 50 paintings available right now wow. as 3D prints. Yeah. Incredible. We are limiting them to an addition of 100 per painting. Regardless of the size, we're limiting it to 100. Right. Wow. Well, I'm very impressed <laughs> by all of this. Um, it sounds like you've been you've been keeping yourself busy these past few months. What it else is on the What else is on the horizon? Are there new projects that we can look forward to seeing from you? Well, um, in January, I'm going to be relocating my studio up to uh, Oregon in the uh, huh. Willamette Valley. Um, we're, we're leasing an 18,000 square foot warehouse space up there. Wow. And we're, we're going to be bringing our prints in-house. So we're going to do our own printing in-house, which would be really awesome. And we're expanding in some other directions up there as well. Well, congratulations to you because you're just expanding and it seems like keep growing more and more and that's that's extremely impressive not only with the artwork but also the business that you've cultivated behind um the artwork which i think is obviously super necessary it's wonderful yeah the, the great thing about having the business is that it it lets me paint you know what i mean yeah I, i'm able to create because i have the business there supporting me which is i think the most important thing yeah i mean I believe it's probably essential to have a balance where you're you're doing both. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about the business. People might think, well, when does she paint? Right. <laughs> so it's good that you said, you know, that there is a balance of both things right. and that having having a well-run business where you know what's going on, but you have things in place and right. it's organized, that allows you the time to also be creative. Right, exactly. Well, people can find your work at AaronHanson.com. Um, we also talked about AaronHansonPrints.com to find the 3D textured paintings and all sorts of other artwork. You can also follow Aaron on Instagram at Aaron Hansen Artist and on Facebook at the Aaron Hansen Gallery. And you'll see also all the different places where you can see her work at the galleries and then other museums and galleries that aren't her own, but maybe sponsor her her work. So thank you so much for joining us today, Aaron. It was very enlightening. Thank you, Jessica. It was really it's fun talking with you. It was great talking with you, and hopefully we'll speak again soon and see what other crazy adventures you're cooking up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again for tuning into the My Modern Bat Top Artist Podcast. In two weeks, we'll be back with another conversation with one of today's best creative minds. In the meantime, check out some of Aaron Hansen's work on the Top Artist Podcast Instagram, and keep reading MyModernMet.com for your daily dose of culture. If you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? You can do so on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. That way you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review. See you next time.